to week three, and maybe we can finally take the pilot tag off this one, although we're still not sure. In the third week of our Ulster Rugby Roundup podcast, I'm Gaetana and my fellow Scots are Jonathan Bradley. Hi, guys. And Adam McKendry. Hey, guys. And we are Scots because, of course, we spent all of last week talking about how easy Ulster were going to have it at the weekend. So, Johnny, how did they lose to Zebra? <laughs> well... I think, first of all, we should note that Zebra played very well. Uh, there was a lot to like about what Zebra were doing, but we'll maybe leave that for the for the Zebra podcast boys to take care of, so <laughs> we'll focus on what went wrong with Ulster. Uh, for me, I mean, the stats being thrown out there, 47 is the number of combined handling errors and missed tackles. You're not going to win a game like that against anybody, Zebra, Zebra or not. They started with knocking the ball on, finish from knocking the ball on and in between knock the ball on an awful lot and just an absolute pile of missed tackles um, that allowed Zebra to really show a fairly young and exciting backline to be honest but yeah it's not going to be a pretty review for Ulster I would say no. so can, we, can we put a finger on why that why were there so many errors it's very hard to put your finger on I mean Les spoke about it uh, yesterday to myself and Johnny uh, just saying you know how, how difficult it was and I mean I'm going to agree with Johnny and say that Zebra did play well but I'm going to disagree and say look that Ulster side should have had the beating of them very easily no matter how well Zebra played maybe maybe that's not disagreeing with you but no, no matter how well Zebra played that Ulster team should have had more than enough to win that game um, you know but we allowed Zebra to make 494 metres 22 missed tackles is everything you need to say you know defensively it was just so poor um, and I mean that's it's just so unlike what we've seen from Ulster so far this season after all the hype we gave them over the first four games I mean that was just a real uh, real crash back down to reality it yeah. was per is that what it is a, a reality check um, for, for maybe anybody who might have been getting their hopes up and thinking that we're going to win everything now I don't know why you're looking at me and not Adam when you say people have <laughs> got their hopes up uh, one of us was definitely more enthused than the other but uh no, I mean, this is the thing. It's impossible for us to know what causes professional sportsmen to go out and develop an inability to do things that they've done every day of their adult life. I mean, I've never been a good enough player. Any mistake I ever made was because I'm not very good. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's difficult to really... In journalism as in rugby? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> it's kind of like me forgetting how to spell five letter words or something when you're seeing the amount of missed tackles and drop balls but it has to be so that has to be an issue of mentality which is what I asked asked Les on Monday of was this a mindset thing when you see so many mistakes there was obviously a very disrupted preparation which you know they had problems with their flight in Belfast which delayed them then they had to go via Antwerp to get the plane fixed missed out on their captain's run but uh, John O'Gibbs was up just there, uh, just gone at the press conference, and I asked him about this, and his response fairly bluntly was, I'd love to know how an aeroplane makes somebody drop a ball. So he's not, uh, <laughs> one, not taking any, any nonsense from, from these questions, and two, not looking to make any excuses about what's going on here. And I mean, you could tell the man was not happy. Like, 
he, he was in no, no mood um, to try and sugarcoat this in any way, which good to see, I suppose. The thing is, it goes beyond the missed tackles and the drop balls. You know, those those are such a big part of it. But, I mean, in that second half, Ulster just did not look like breaking down Zebra at all. I mean, Zebra employed a fantastic rush defence. They were right up in Ulster's faces. And Ulster just continued to pass the ball along the back line. And they got absolutely nowhere. You know, it was crying out for someone just to chip it over the top or, you know, pin them back. We saw Lele Afano do that against the Scarlets. You know, it, it needed someone just to put boot to ball or try something a little different because they were getting absolutely nowhere. There was no leadership on that pitch, you know, grabbing the game by the scruff of the neck and saying, guys, we've got to change something here. And that, that for me, is just as disappointing as all those missed tackles and drop balls. You know, there, there was no creativity to sort of say, we've got to try something different. And the thing is, Ulster, Ulster did look good for part of it. You know, up until they dropped the ball, I know they dropped the ball a lot, but up until... They did drop the ball. They looked good. They had good strike runners. Rodney Ayew making that great burst, you know, right at the very start. You know, that was that was brilliant. And you know, then of course he dropped the ball, which I think we're going to have to name this podcast <laughs> given the number of times I've said that for us. I, I don't know if we can say you know everything was going right till it went wrong. I mean, that's I suppose that's the way things are. But uh, it's interesting that you talk about why they didn't chip the ball over the top when they were faced with this rush defence and as Jono said today when we asked him about it was there a plan B and he said well how do we know the plan A didn't work when we didn't actually go out there and, <laughs> and execute it yeah. but the point about the rush defence I think is really really important because when BBC came back from the game um, there was no time for post match but we just saw the the death glare from <laughs> Stephen Ferris about the uh, He's probably said as much as he could have said with any words of what he thought about that second <laughs> half. But uh, uh, the BBC had up on their website then later on they put, put the post-match album in Andy Ward saying this Zebra provided a blueprint for how to play Ulster. And I think that's going to be key because I watched the Connacht Scarlet's game on Friday night and just making, making notes as it was going along. The thing that I kept coming back to was line speed in defence, determination in defence and I was thinking to myself, Ulster haven't faced this type of this type of team when they have the ball yet this season I admit I didn't think it was going to come uh, the next day <laughs> but uh, I think it'll be really really important to see how Ulster deal with what I think is going to be a similar type of defensive uh, defensive performance from Connacht this week Yeah. well, well uh, we can maybe be kind and say it was the aeroplane that made them drop the ball. Here's what Les Kiss thought of all the errors after the match. I think it's a collection of things. I think the guys' attitude was fine, and, and maybe they tried too hard at times and, and forced elements of the game to try and break open Zebra. Uh, you know, we came to a, a, a penalty, to, I mean, a try decision that was disallowed late. Uh, you know, on other uncertain visions, it wasn't a penalty, and it should have been a try, but the game if we managed it better earlier mightn't have been that close so we have to accept you know our medicine in that area but uh, I think it's also it'd be remiss not to recognise what Zebra did you know, they played well their line speed was very good we put our skills under pressure and, and we made these forced errors and unforced errors uh, so you have to recognise that you know, I think Zebra you know, played a pretty good style of rugby as well 
Right, so for this game then, there's, there's been a lot of talk of all the changes. 12, uh, I think changes were made with the, the, the lineup for this match. So, um, are, are people right to sort of question, what was that the right thing to do, or what, what's your thoughts on it all? Well, as I've already alluded to, I mean, this Ulster team should have had more than enough to win in Zebra. You know, <clears throat> it wasn't a weak team by any stretch of the imagination. You were welcoming Henderson back, uh, John Cooney, Christian Lele, Afano, you know, I mean, that, that's just to name three, you know. It wasn't a weak team that they sent across. Uh, Johnny's been saying, you know, 12 changes, but they were 12 changes for the better. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's, it's not like we were doing a Dragons move from the week before and we were resting 12 players looking ahead. We were bringing 12 players back in, and that, I think, is the big difference. You know, it wasn't a weak team. That's yeah. just... That's just yeah, I mean, like I saw on Twitter afterwards, like, I can't remember who it was, but somebody was just kind of chirping, um, <laughs> said, saying that this was an outrageous show of arrogance from Ulster to make this amount of changes, showing disrespect to Zebra, and I think that really kind of missed the boat of, these were changes that made this team better. Yeah. Uh, the boys who are coming back in were a lot closer to what we expect to see on Friday night, and more, more importantly, almost the Friday after building into Europe, but I don't know whether either of you boys heard the Hard Yards podcast this week, but uh, they had Ronan O'Gara on and uh, talking about how far in advance they look at selection. And it was just it was a really interesting perspective of how things are done down to the minute with these coaches and four, five, six weeks in advance. So this wasn't obviously the team that Ulster planned to send over there because there was a lot of talk about leadership in that pack and how it wasn't there without Chris Henry. But Chris Henry had played the last four games, plus the two friendly, so he'd gone six weeks in a row. But taking that out, when Ulster were drawing this plan up for this to be the game that uh, Chris Henry missed, Rory Best was supposed to be back coming off the bench, but obviously it wasn't because of the hamstring injury. Marcel could see it was meant to be back playing in this game, but obviously it wasn't an intention of they went out without any of their leaders. It was just... They couldn't send yeah. Chad out there again. And Stu McCluskey as well was meant to play. He was dying to play this game originally, but then had to go the week before because Luke Marshall picks up the injury in training, so he misses a week. And then you're left with this wasn't quite the team that was meant to go over there as well, and I just think that's important to note. Yeah. Yeah, for, for me, that's an, you should be rising above that, but I, I get... Oh, no, like I, I understand you should be rising above it, but it's just to give a sort of insight into the train of thought that there wasn't any leaders there without Chris Henry well, that wasn't the plan per se they obviously thought they were going to have best for this game coming off the bench and they thought could see it was going to be there well for everybody's sanity let's just forget that happened altogether and move on um, to Friday night a chance to put everything right against Connacht and um, ahead of this game uh, I, I think I've found the perfect guest. Uh, if we're to have guests coming on to the podcast, I think I've found the first one who would provide perfect, lengthy, in-depth uh, answers to questions, and that is, of course, Connacht coach Kieran Keane, because we all saw his interview after the uh, defeat to Cardiff Blues, and I would absolutely love to have him on to give us some of those absolute gems. So um, it was a great interview, wasn't it? Oh, it was brilliant. Uh, it just it brought back to mind uh, Brendan Bentner all those years ago with his... Uh, his three cheers for Shirley Bubble. Uh, same guy as well, doing the interview. Uh, Graham Simmons at Sky. But, uh, no, but I mean, by all accounts, uh, just from what we heard yesterday from Connor, Kieran Keane wasn't there. Um, 
but uh, from what we heard from Nigel Carlin and uh, John Muldoon at the, at the European launch there he was uh, fairly embarrassed when he saw it back and didn't realise that it came across the way it did shall we say <laughs> my favourite bit was uh, Graham Simmons interview who just remained so confident throughout and he was just like I mean your players Kieran <laughs> it was fantastic I loved it I, well I like having characters in the league who'll give interviews like that. I mean, yeah. maybe not every week because you would, <laughs> as journalists we would like some sound bites to put you, in our articles. You wouldn't want to be the one with the microphone anyway. No, uh, so Graham, you did a very good job. But um, like, maybe that speaks of the passion of the guy that uh, after a defeat like that, you know, he, he just couldn't find the words to sum it up. And um, I know certainly a lot of the Connacht guys are speaking quite highly of him and just what, what he's brought so far and just what he's trying to bring with his new coaching staff. Um, so I, I think this is maybe just frustration more than anything else. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you'd love to think that it was the frustration of how that last two minutes in that game went against Cardiff rather than uh, the realisation that he's got quite the job on his hands this season. <laughs> um, only one win then so far for Connacht uh, over Kings um, uh, but they lost to uh, Scarlet's then after that Cardiff Blues defeat but will uh, Keane have been any more sort of perked up by what he saw last weekend? Absolutely, I was pretty impressed with them uh, by and large on Friday night as I said their, their defence was uh, was really good, uh, if you just looked at the score it probably looked a lot worse than it was because they actually they had a conversion that would have drawn them level in the last couple of minutes and then Scarlett went up the other end and scored yeah. a try that uh, probably put a bit of an unfair reflection I mean the kid it could have been a draw you know and they were far better than what I'd expected obviously Chilton O'Halloran was back from injury and um, he's a player I love watching uh, he's great great value watching for Connacht and um, they're back row as well Owen Cohn came in for his first start of the season Jake Heenan came in for his second start of the season so they've Along with John Muldoon, they'll have sort of their more settled back row there as well. Um, it's not this, this is not the team that won that won the Pro 12 uh, two years ago by yeah. any means. But it'll be interesting to see what what they bring up the up the Kingspan on Friday night. Mm-hmm. You've got to remember it's an Interpro. I mean, everyone raises their game for an Interpro. It's just like an unwritten rule that you have to do it. Um, you mentioned O'Halloran. I'm really interested to see how he goes against Jacob Stockdale. Um, that matchup on the wing is going to be really interesting. But Connacht, you're right, they improved against the Scarlets. Still on the wrong end of the result, so they've got a lot to prove, certainly at this early stage of the season. I mean, if you look at the results alone, you think to yourself, oh goodness, we're back to Connacht of four or five years ago where they were scrapping it out of the bottom of the table with the Italian teams. They're not that, you know, they are a better team than that. And they're welcoming guys back from injury. They're welcoming back O'Halloran. Kieran Marmion's probably going to start this week. He, uh, he didn't start for them last week. You know, it, it is going to be a bit of a different team that comes up here with a point to prove. Uh, they've got a couple former Ulster guys in their ranks as well. Connor Carey, Finley Balaam, Rory Scholes. They're going to be uh, involved. And, you know, it's... It's going to be a very tough one for Ulster because Connacht, as the so-called fourth province in Ireland, which I think they've proved over the last few years they're not anymore, you know, they would love more than anything to cause a scrap. And I mean, certainly since they haven't won here in over 50 years, you know, they would they'd love nothing more than to end that. And, you know, 
they've pushed us close in the past couple of years. You know, as we haven't had it all our own way uh, whenever Connacht have come up here, and I'm sure it's going to be exactly the same on Friday night. Yeah, I was going to ask you there. Connacht aren't the fourth province. Who is? But uh, <laughs> well, uh, we'll leave that one. Maybe. Uh, yeah, you mentioned there their their record up here. It's it's mad the fact that they haven't won up here in so long. I mean, November 1960, JFK had just been elected president. <laughs> Marilyn Monroe and Clark Gable had just finished filming their last ever film, and El- <laughs> Elvis had just recorded Are You Lonesome Tonight? That's how long <laughs> we're talking about going back here. Well, thank you very much to our 1960 expert, Jonathan Bradley. Um, the two guys then uh, were at the Champions Cup launch on Monday, and they spoke to Colin Captain John Muldoon about his side's abysmal record in Belfast. Yeah, it's a difficult place to go to. Um, I think the crowd don't make it easy for you. They get on the ref, they, they make it a hard place to go to. I think Ulster... Um, really perform well at home um, I think over the years it's been a pretty hard place I think over the last couple of seasons um, in Pat's reign I think we've come away with two or three bonus points um, and been a little bit unlucky um, once or twice so we're closing the gap but it's it's a tough place to go to and um, you look at the, the Ulster squad and you look at some of the players they have um, they have a quality team they'll definitely be disappointed with the results of the weekend but uh, Unlike us, they've started very well with a little blip um, last weekend, so I'm sure they'll be looking forward to um, to us coming up there. Uh, not to pat ourselves on the back too much, but uh, nobody else is going to do it. So we're two for two with our games of the week. We called it right again last week in that rainy uh, beat Belfast Harlequins 23-7 and with more of the results from last weekend's All-Iron League games here's Adam yeah Division 1B it went quite well for Ulster teams Banbridge defeated Nias 42-35 Balnehinch won away to Dolphin 33-16 however Balamina lost away to UL Bohemian 36-13 that leaves Banbridge 3rd with 12 points Balnehinch 4th with 11 and Balamina 8th eight with, eight with 5 points in Division 2A all 3 Ulster teams won uh, Malone were away to Cashel they won 18-16 City of Armagh against Galway Corinthians 42-18 and Queen's University away to Highfield 16-14 City of Armagh and Malone are first and second with 13 points and Queen's are one place behind them in third with 10 points in Division 2B, rainy old boys, as we said, they won the Ulster Derby against Belfast Harlequins, 23-7. However, there were defeats for City of Derry against Scaries and Dungannon against Old Crescent. Rainy are 4th with 9 points, Dungannon 7th with 6 points, City of Derry 8th with 5 points, and Quinns are 10th, who are yet to score a point. And in Division 2C, there are wins for Bangor away to Middleton and Oma, but 8 tries... Uh, against Bective Rangers in a 52-17 win. Oma lead the league with 12 points and Bangor are fifth with nine points. Fantastic. Well, we'll let Adam take a breath. Um, and me, me and Johnny will have a little look at the, this week's game of the week, which is Balamina against the mighty Banbridge uh, on Friday night. So Banbridge, as Adam said, they're sitting third, Johnny, and just a point off the top of the table. I mean, it's been a great start. Yeah, it was, it was interesting, uh, that Banbridge game, because obviously they'd been in a winning position the week before and uh, let that slip yeah. to to have that draw where it was a game that they probably really thought they should have won against UCC from where they were. Mm-hmm. So the fact that uh, in their game on Saturday, they were winning handily enough, the lead was caught to a point, but this time exercised any demons of the week before and yeah. went on the win. So yeah, good start for them. Good start for a lot of the, or the Ulster boys, uh, 2A as well. It's great to see the three teams up there, but... Uh, 
turned it off, but I'm turning it back on because Johnny just absolutely froze there and then went, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Which basically sums up the whole podcast in, in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I just started talking about too many different games at once. And, uh, so, yes, sorry. Well, when in doubt, talk about Banbridge. Yeah, our, our game of the week, Banbridge. <laughs> Banbridge Balmain at Eden Park on Friday night. Uh, it's going to be a big one, big one, especially, I suppose, for Banbridge to keep this momentum going. But Balamina, the way they've started winning one, lost two, they're not going to yeah. want to give away anything at home either. And uh, I don't know, what the, what do you boys think of it? I'm going to predict a, a Banbridge win here and keep going with, uh, keep predicting Daniel Silver to, to win things until he gives me any reason not to. So. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you're you're absolutely spot on. I mean, Super's record there has been fantastic. And it, it was such a, having like... Uh, done a lot of stuff with Daniel whenever I, I started in journalism working in the paper in Banbridge uh, it was such a struggle for them to get out of 2B mm-hmm. and like, there were a couple of years where really they felt they should have but they just they just fell fell away So, but the club has just kept progressing which has been absolutely fantastic and he's been such a, a massive part of that so um, it's just great to see them starting the season so well and yeah it's uh, hard to see anything other than a, a Banbridge this, this weekend It's going to be huge for Ulster to get a presence in 1A Somebody, yeah. somebody has to get back up there, and yeah. if you know if Banbridge do slip up uh, this week, but or Banbridge should breathing right down the next as well. So hopefully we can see those two teams make a real push to, to give us that presence in the in the top division as well. Yeah, could Banbridge really get promoted twice in a row? I mean, that's I mean, like, it was so difficult to get out of two B. So surely getting two promotions in a or two A. Sorry, they got out of wasn't it? Two A. Um, that so to. Uh, they got two promotions in a row. Surely it's too much to ask. Is it? Oh, it's good. There's a good side there. There's a good core of uh, local lads and a good sprinkling of also uh, involvement there as well. So I mean, long may it continue the way they've started. Well, we'll have to give a mention then as well to Oma and Two C as Adam told us, top of the league, eight tries at the weekend. They're just absolutely brilliant. Yes. Yeah, speaking of teams that are uh, progressing at pace, I mean, three years ago around this time, I remember covering a game, a Q2 game. Uh, Oma against Hollywood at Kerr Park and to see how they've came in the three years since is uh, unbelievable uh, to get up in the All-Iron League is an achievement in itself I know Bangor did it the year before but that round draw one is notoriously difficult yeah. to get out of uh, but Oma have obviously done it they've built really well and now the way they've started they're they're flying basically and again this week we've had plenty of your questions coming in so thank you for those please do keep them coming but um again i got one this week so i'm claiming like second place in the fame rankings of, of the, the podcast trio but johnny's still first <laughs> johnny give us your, some of your questions there yeah well we had uh kyle mcneely one of our uh diehard ulster expats over in london uh wanted to know that with Ulster's poor record of blooding forwards should we see as much of Ray and Timoney moving forward as possible to give them that experience of rugby at this level to bring them along first of all we should point out that Matty Ray is 24 and Nick Timoney is 22 mm-hmm. they're not exactly considered young cubs anymore you know um, they're still young in terms of their rugby careers but you know, whenever you consider that Ian Henderson burst onto the scene at 19, Stephen Ferris was bursting onto the scene around the same age, you know, the chance for them to sort of establish themselves as potential uh, international players, you know, their, their window is shortening dramatically. You do want to see them progress, and if anyone uh, knows me, they know I love to see young players being given their chance. 
but you've got to do it smartly. You can, you can't throw three young back rows into a game altogether. You know, you have to have that mix of experience with the likes of Henry or even Henderson or someone like that along with them to guide them along. Um, so you know, you, you can't just start throwing guys in here, there, and everywhere. There has to be some sort of a system to it. They've done it really well so far. Uh, Matty Ray has played, I think it's around 295 minutes already. So, I mean, he's he's been given a lot of chance to shine and he's certainly been very solid for Ulster so far. Nick Timley's getting a few more minutes now as well. Great to see Adam McBurney on the bench as well in Zebra. They'll, they'll get their chances um, as long as Ulster are smart about it. They've got... You know pathways for these guys to progress. Yeah. I I think you know I think it's okay what they're doing at the moment. I I don't think there's uh, any other way that they can bring them through really. I think it's uh, it's good that you mentioned Ferris and Henderson there because people obviously see them as the gold standard and want to know why we're not bringing through more players like that. Mm. But you look at uh, Ferris, obviously he's right up there with the best players that people of our age have seen play for Ulster um, made his Ireland debut at 21 was a Lion at 25 Hendo on the same scale Ireland debut at 20 Lion by 25 so I think what Kyle's getting at is do we need to give these guys exposure so we see them build into say Sean Weedy somebody that got better and better and better with the more minutes they were given in the team and is now a really really solid solid pro 14 level back rower and pushing into that Ireland squad winning caps the last two summers but yeah um, with the age profile of the young forwards that we're bringing through now Adam kind of alluded to you know John Andrew 24 uh, Ross Kane 23 in a couple of weeks Kyle McCall 25 Matty Ray 24 Timothy 22 it's not that we're going to give these boys minutes and that's what's stopping them becoming Ferris and Hendo it's just those two boys are a different breed to what we've seen come through in the forward ranks here. Yeah. Well, just very quickly, my question then, uh, one of my friends wanted us to discuss that disallowed try on Friday night, and basically just wanted to know what happened. Well, the the decision was that Ulster changed lanes in a mall. In a mall, you have to keep going straight. And I, I'm no rules expert, so I might get something <laughs> slightly wrong, but in, in a mall, you, ju- you just have to drive straight. You can't start driving left, right, and center all over the pitch um, and what you can do is you can sort of shift a couple guys off to the side of a mall and then break them all off the side and sort of take away the defenders keep them with the main mall and start breaking away on the other side and you can't do that that's what the referee well the TMO said to the referee that's what Ulster did it was a, it was a very tough one I mean you can see why it was given. You can also make a case for it not being given. Um, and that sounds like I'm trying to avoid the question altogether. But, I mean, John made a very good point in the press conference. We only really saw one angle of it, and it yeah. was very difficult to tell. Um, so, I mean, for me, I did think it was harsh. But, look, maybe there is another angle that, that can yeah. say, you know, yeah, they did. Well, I think it looked like they were driven off the line to a certain extent mm. by boys coming to the side, which is why I think we thought it was going to come back for a penalty. But um, like you can argue all day whether it was technically to the to the letter of the laws or not. But I mean, you, you hear an Ulster accent come on the TMO, you think we're going to be sweet here, and then all of a sudden it's uh, <laughs> it's gone the other way. 
Bizarre, that's, that's my take away from it. <laughs> uh, have we got any other questions? Adam went into uh, UAFC this week. I didn't Did you get questions? Oh, yes. Um, everybody, there. Forums. <laughs> Yes, thank you all for your feedback. By the way, really appreciate it and keep it coming. Um, but some of them have asked, what is the length of Les Kiss's contract? Um, and uh, what's sort of the deal with that? The answer is, we don't actually know. Um, <laughs> we asked, and we have not yet got a response. Um, but the main thing that uh, I'll let Johnny answer this one because he has more of a working knowledge of it than I yeah. do, but there is a clause. Well, yeah, there's been a lot of talk about these clauses in the last year, I suppose. Um, it was brought to everyone's attention by Pat Lamb when he went to Bristol and part of his reasoning for going to Bristol seemed to be the fact that there was this clause in his contract that he was taking umbrage with that he could be sacked at the he said six months notice so we'll take him, take him at his word for that and then uh, subsequently we've seen Razzie Erasmus leave or exercise his rights to opt out of that contract with Munster but uh, David Nusifor who uh, just imagining everybody uh, we all know and love yeah everybody's everybody's favourite man in this part of the world um, gave a press briefing recently and uh, one of the things that he rather ominously said for any coach currently in a job was there will come a day I'm paraphrasing him I'm not quoting him directly obviously, <laughs> there, there, there will come a day when this clause, these clauses might work in our favour which is obviously them looking at not not coaches skipping out on other jobs by exercising these clauses but people being told that in six months time it's time to call the movers so on the, the contract question is obviously being asked let's not beat around the bush on this the contract question is being asked because this is these are people that don't want less in a job and yeah. um, there's no point in us sugarcoating this in any way um, the interesting thing I suppose we're not going to have questions to the listeners but the interesting thing that I would want to know would be what would the alternative be, you know, because we've seen it with Monsters coaching search, uh, we've seen it with people that have come in before, you know, even the likes of Joe Schmidt, Michael Cheka, when these guys come in, they weren't really names, when Pat Lang came in, it was after he'd been at the Blues and had taken a lot of heat over there, um, Jake White's not coming through that door if Les gets sacked, um, Wayne Smith not coming through that door if Les gets sacked so for me the most likely outcome if Les were to be out of a job would be that the director of rugby probably becomes Bryn Bryn Cunningham mm-hmm. and Jono gets promoted to well he, he's not going to get promoted because he is head coach yeah. now <laughs> Jono takes more of a role um, I wrote this over the summer just before the before the season started and it's not popular opinion but it's still my opinion so I'm going to to say it anyway this is the key season uh, for Les Kiss and everybody wants to see tangible signs of progress this season with Ulster and personally and it's a personal opinion he deserves the chance to see this season with the new coaching staff in and we'll see where Ulster are at the end I don't think we're going to be in a situation where it's they've lost the zebra Les has to go I don't think that's a rational way to uh, yeah deal with that result my idea on this is that we should wait until the end of the season to see where we are obviously people have less patience than that and <laughs> wait, look, we could spend all day debating this back and yeah. forth but uh, 
for the sake of Gareth, he has to edit this, and we said about four deadlines before I go to bed tonight. We'll uh, maybe leave it there. Yeah. Well, very quickly then, um, because we're we're nearly out of time. Or any other business? One thing from the rugby world that has caught our eye over uh, the last few days. Yeah. Well, Johnny and I were down on Monday at the uh, European Rugby Champions Cup launch. Um, <clears throat> just great to see all the guys again. We and Pivac uh, remembered me from my rag and bone man. Uh, <laughs> days uh, but no the, a lot of guys talking very positively ahead of the new season um, EPCR certainly uh, we're bringing up a few new uh, things that they're going to be implementing over the next year or two uh, with the competition and yeah it, it's events like those that sort of get you excited for the return of the European games you know those big nights at uh, the Kingspan and uh, no, it was just great to be down. Although they did not hold back in their uh, jokes at Scott Baldwin's expense. Let's put it that way. No, um, I love October, as you say. It uh, kind of gets the, the blood pumping for what's coming ahead. So we've got the two end approach, we've got Europe coming back, and everybody is back in harness now. All the internationals are back, all the Lions are fitter back. And so this is now where we get to see full strength teams going head to head for the next hopefully four weeks so yeah it's great but I just mentioned uh, mentioned Scott Baldwin there and uh, yeah I assume he's uh, he's been taking a bit of flack for what happened for anyone who isn't aware and I'm sure he's all are by this stage Osprey's out in uh, out in South Africa preparing for a game against the Chigas and it emerges not long before kickoff that uh, their starting hooker is not playing because uh He's been bitten by a lion, which he petted through, through, the, uh, through the bars of his cage. At first, I thought that my favourite part of the story, and we're not, we're not making light of it, we wish him a speedy recovery, but the interview that Steve Tandy gave uh, in the build-up, where he exonerated the lion, I just thought it was great. I mean, he was one step away from saying the lion's not that type of player. I really, th- I really thought we were going to get that. But then the video, the video emerged of Scott uh, sticking his hand through the bars getting bit by the lion obviously there's a fair bit of commotion but the uh, the one thing that I really really noticed from it was uh, Alan Clark's voice of uh, you're alright good lad just final final and definitive proof that they they breed them differently out in Dungannon <laughs> he's seen his seen his four being bitten by a lion and his reaction was you're right you're grand they're, they're a hearty bunch out there Alan we miss you <laughs> <laughs> and uh, not strictly rugby but worth giving a mention to a big Ulster fan Jonathan Ray who secured his third successive World Superbike title uh, last Saturday and he'll maybe be here at the Kingspan Stadium on Friday night we're not sure uh, and just one final mention to the Kingspan Stadium ground staff who turned off their moors about two seconds before we press record. So absolute champions. From Jonathan Bradley. Thanks very much, guys. From Anna McAndrew. Cheers, guys. And me, Gareth Hanna. It's Tata and farewell.